0: Very good morning, and I want to uh, thank uh, the elders of uh, Harvest Care for inviting me to uh, give uh, the, to share with you this morning's sermon uh, from Philippians chapter one about uh, <clears throat> Paul in prison, or uh, Paul in chains, right? And uh, I think. Um, under the COVID uh, restrictions, I think we can feel a little bit, somewhat like what Paul felt, uh, being isolated, uh, restricted uh, in movement, and so on. Um, So our feeling, in fact, uh, just only uh, recently I received a letter from uh, fellow leaders, and he was describing the kind of reactions that uh, this COVID has uh, created in many people there's a sense of uh, languishing. Um, it says uh, we have a restless spirit, which is an uneasy heart or an unquiet mind. Something that uh, feels amiss and we cannot uh, pinpoint what the cause is. And some of us uh, feel uh, lost uh, and restless because of these COVID restrictions, and then they result in a. A lack of heart in doing things. Uh, uh, we become passionless uh, in our worship. A lack of excitement in the things or in spiritual matters. Uh, some of us uh, can identify with that feeling, and then uh, we, our emotions are a bit jaded. Uh, um, sometimes we feel up, and most of the time we feel down. We kind of roll, roller coaster throughout this uh, COVID situation. Uh, Not too long ago, we feel that things might be under control, but now things are out of control again. So the feeling goes up and down. Uh, Definitely uh, we feel isolated, uh, disconnected from our community alone due to the limited uh, social interactions. uh, Giving a sense of uh, lack of joy, We lose our inner joy as we come weary in our spirit. So this is uh, 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 result of some uh, survey that the leader has done, uh, what people are feeling uh, in their current uh, so-called uh, COVID chain, COVID restrictions. And Paul is like that uh, in Philippians 1, he was in prison, <clears throat> he was handcuffed, he was in chains. And we will, co- we will, we will consider this passage and learn how he what his attitude and his uh, approach was in such circumstances and I hope that uh, we can learn some uh, lessons from it. Uh, before we read the text and I dive into sharing my thoughts, uh, let's uh, have, a, have uh, a time of prayer together. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather in this uh, online fashion to uh, worship you and to uh, consider uh, your wonderful word. We ask, Lord, that as we linger in your presence, that uh, you will recharge us. We thank you, Lord, that you invite us always to return to your throne of grace, and that you promise to satisfy the weary soul. You, uh, you will replenish, Lord, the languishing spirit, and uh, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you will give rest. To the weary and joy to the sorrowing and we pray lord that you will refresh our tired bodies and uh, uh, restore our tired, our tired souls and we pray that as we get into your word that you give us uh, this uh, new energy that we have this new joy that we share in christ and for his precious name we pray amen <clears throat> okay let's uh, read the text in philippians chapter one uh, only seven verses uh for our consideration this morning from verse 12. I will read the text first and I will share with you uh, my outline and uh, my thoughts uh, in a short while. In verse 12 of Philippians 1, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. We will consider afterwards what has happened to Paul. And as a result, it has become a clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chain for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fiercely. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, there is those who uh, preach out of envy and rivalry. Uh, They do so out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? Paul says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Uh, May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And even as we uh, enter into uh, considering the content of these uh, seven verses, you can see in a nutshell, it's something like this. Paul is in chain, but the gospel is not. Paul was in chain, but not his spirit. His body was chained, but not his spirit. Paul was his chain, but he rejoices. Put it another way, he says Paul's body was in chain, but his mind is free. And to his mind, in spite of the chain, he seeks to advance the gospel, he seeks to encourage uh, others, and he decides to rejoice always. Through these seven verses to the reading, you I didn't sense there was no sense of self pity, there was no regret, uh, there was no negative thoughts. Uh, while in chain and in prison, Paul lived out what he wrote uh, in a verse uh, in this letter of Philippians towards we will Come to that, I suppose, in the last sermon in Philippians 4 and verse 8. He says, Whatever is true whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul is doing precisely this uh, in his chain. He was not dwelling in negative, he was thinking of what is true, he was thinking of what is noble, what is right, Uh, how to be admirable in conduct, Uh, how to excel in uh, the gospel, Uh, how to do what is praiseworthy. And he encouraged them to think about these things. And Paul was doing precisely this while in prison. And then in verse 9 of Philippians 4, he says, Whatever you have learned or read or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And this is exactly what we would like to do uh, this morning as we hear from Paul in these seven verses in Philippians 1, 12 to 18. Uh, as we understand uh, his thoughts and try to unpack it a little uh, with God's help. Uh, we need to put it into practice. And I would encourage each one of you as you listen to uh, the sermon in the next uh minutes or so that you will identify one thing in your life that you could put into practice, one thing that you uh, need to change, perhaps, in your circumstances, whatever that change might be, uh, in order to advance the Gospel, in order to be more excellent or praiseworthy in the things uh, that we hear about Paul. While we may not have physical change, Uh, while we may not be in actual prison that we strip or limit uh, us. But like I started with the COVID uh, situation that many of us have already experienced emotional change, uh, even spiritual change, whatever circumstances that may weigh us down, that will prevent us from living life as we want to or as we ought to. But in our change, Change we can consider putting into practice what Paul say here in these seven verses. Um, uh, the three no's, firstly, right? there's no self pity, no regret, no negative thoughts, and the three yes, yes to advance the gospel, yes to encourage uh, and reach out to others, and to rejoice always. And in a nutshell, that is basically. Uh, the message that Paul would want us to hear from uh, these seven verses from Philippians 1, 12 to 18. How did Paul do it? What was Paul's secret? Well, it is not a skill, it is not a methodology that Paul is uh, advocating here. It is rather an attitude of life. Paul's approach to his chains or his imprisonment stemmed from his understanding about being a living sacrifice to God, which he wrote in uh, the book of Romans, right? If you are all familiar with that, Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, Romans 12, I'm ready for Romans 12, uh, the first two verses, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. Christ, uh, Paul's body was in chain here, and he is saying, "Offer." your bodies as living sacrifices. And that's exactly what Paul was doing while he was in in prison. And he sees this as holy and pleasing to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. And then verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Well, this uh, Romans 12 two verses is uh, you can almost preach an entire sermon just on these two verses alone. But I just want to highlight that Paul's attitude is fueled and driven by this. Uh, just three highlights for you. First is that it's not of this world. I mean, it's what Paul uh, approach to life under chain, in prison. It's patterned after God's purpose that you can say it's an it's, it's, uh, attitude that is from heaven. It is not of this world. So if we want to learn uh, and to react in our chain like Paul, we need to have a mindset that is not of this world. Two, it is a new mindset, right? It says it's transformed. Paul's mind has been transformed by God's Word and by his Spirit right and it is in, with this new uh renewed mind that Paul can uh handle his chain uh his pain and his darkness from a perspective that is uh advancing the gospel that is not uh resulting in self pity or regret or negativity and then the third the, the point basically the highlight is that Paul his attitude of uh life is driven by God's will. He says God's will which is good, pleasing and perfect. Paul sincerely believed that his chains was God's perfect will for him. Good and pleasing. He didn't see the chain as something that is uh, negative. Paul in his own mindset was driven by his selfish ambition, uh, was driven by envy and rivalry and in fact he was uh, putting other people in chain. That's why he was on the road to Damascus until he met Jesus on the road there. And then he was uh, converted and he had this new mindset which is not of this world, which is fashioned after God's uh, will for him. So for us to be able to respond uh, like Paul uh, in our chain, uh, we need to live our life and see our life as a living sacrifice uh, for God. For Paul, his purpose in life, even in his chain, even in his prison, in, in prison, um, is articulated in two verses in Acts. Uh, we let Paul himself, uh, his own words uh, just tell us uh, what his purpose or his attitude in life is. In Acts 20, uh, this was the occasion where he was bidding farewell to the Ephesian elders. Uh, in verse 24 of Acts 20, uh, Paul said to the Ephesian elders, uh, he spent about two to three years in Ephesus, and he says, however I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task. The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. This is what Paul is doing. Right? He sees his life as worth nothing to him. So the question for us is, having come to uh, know Christ, how do we see our life? Do Do we value our life based on the values of this world? Or do we see our life in the context of God's eternal purpose for us? And Paul says that uh, his life now is driven by completing the task, this task of uh, being a witness to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Now this is not unique to Paul. We all know the Great Commission. Jesus has given us this uh, same task. To go and make disciples of all nations, right? To teach them uh, about everything, and therefore we need to, uh, like Paul, devote ourselves to this task and to first to learn this task and then to teach this task uh, and to be a witness uh, to the gospel as as uh, God through Jesus has uh, wanted us to be. So this is Paul's. Own testimony in Acts 20. He says that uh, his life uh, goal uh, is to finish the race and to complete the task. And then the following chapter in Acts 21 uh, verse 13, and this is uh, in Caesarea when Paul is completing his third missionary journey. He was on his way to Jerusalem where he would be put in chain. Uh, he was in this place uh, Philip's house. Philip is one of the seven what we now call deacons. Uh, he's he's an evangelist and um, Paul uh, was in his place on his way to Jerusalem and there Paul encountered uh, a prophet by the name of Agabus. And Agabus took the belt uh, that Paul was wearing and tied up uh, his foot and his leg and uh, gave the prophecy and says that uh, If you go to Jerusalem, this is what is going to happen to the owner of this belt. And then, of course, the believers in uh, being loving Paul and wanting to care for his welfare, told Paul and pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul's response was uh, amazing. Uh, Paul answered them, says, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? He says, I'm ready not only to be bound in chains, but I am also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Well, we know that it is not God's will for Paul to die in Jerusalem, but definitely in Jerusalem he was bound. And through a series of uh, court trials in Jerusalem, and through his own plea to Emperor Caesar, he was then shipped over to Rome. And from Rome, uh, we got this letter that he wrote to the Philippians. And here, uh, Paul himself said, you know, that um, he's ready not only to be bound in chain, but ready to die. So the question uh, for us really, although you can say in our time and age to die for the Gospel, uh, you can say in Malaysia, Singapore, or in other states and so on, uh, this end doesn't appear in our horizon. All right? But in some places it is that to be a Christian is to be willing to die for your faith. So the question is, are we willing to do so? But we may not have to go to that extreme. Just in you know, our own current circumstances, in our emotional chain, in our Covid-induced limitations and so on, how are we living our life? Paul in his chains was committed to advance the gospel no matter what happens. Even in his chain, Paul saw the gospel being advanced. Uh, being, although he could not do it himself, he saw the gospel advancing, moving forward, spreading even more, getting being promoted. So the question is: how so? Paul saw his chain his imprisonment, his restriction, in a very different perspective. Uh, The pattern of this world would see the chaining up of God's people as stopping the spread, right? That's why they persecute Uh, uh, the early church, right? And persecution everywhere, even today, in certain lands and throughout all times, persecution aimed to silence God's people, to instill fear and to intimidate, uh, to make God's people afraid, so that those who are concerned about their welfare uh, on earth will keep quiet and will therefore not speak. Naturally and logically, this would work. right? That's why the Sanhedrin, the high priests, the elders, the religious leaders uh, during the early church time, they resorted to this. right? They persecuted, hoping uh, to stop the spread. Uh, and so on. But there was one guy, which is the name uh, of Gamaliel, which is Paul's teacher, and uh, he was among the, the Sanhedrin at that time, and he gave a wise advice to uh, the Sanhedrin leaders. He says, you cannot fight and go against God and hope to win. And Paul, under Gamaliel's uh, teaching and influence uh, understood this uh, truth, right? that if he is on God's side, if he is doing the gospel, um, nothing that can go against God uh, can hope uh, to win. Um, I want to dwell a little bit more on what Gamaliel's advice because I think this influenced uh, Paul a lot in his uh Attitude of life and in the way he handled his uh, chains. In Acts 5 and verse 35 to 39, this is Gamaliel's words to the Sanhedrin council at that time. He told them, he says, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men, these 12 apostles that they were they are put in prison, they are planning something, perhaps even to kill them. Um, and Gamaliel gave Two examples or two historical examples. He says the first, some time ago, there was this guy called uh, Teudas. He appeared, claiming to be somebody, and had about 400 men uh, rallied to him. Uh, he was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. And then, after uh, these two there was another guy called Judas the Galilean. Uh, he appeared. Uh, Gamaliel says that, and uh, this. Judas, the Galilean, led a band of people in revolt and then he too was killed and all his followers are scattered. So, Gamaliel was using these two example to tell the Sanhedrin saying that therefore in the present case. What is the present case? The present case is Jesus. Jesus was killed. The disciples were all scattered and he says in the present case, right? I give you this advice. He says leave this man alone. Let them go, for if their purpose and activity is of human origin, it will fail, just like the case of Judas, just like the case of Judas the Galilean. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop this man. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Gamaliel understood the times he was living in, and he gave wise counsel to the Sanhedrin. Fortunately, the Sanhedrin healed his advice and let the apostles go. And we now know, through 20-odd centuries of uh, the gospel being preached, that this gospel is not of man because, like Camadeus says, if it is of man, it would fail. But it has not failed under the 12 apostles, under apostle Paul, it continued to advance. And it brings out the truth in uh, the Old Testament, the one, the verse that Gamaliel and Paul must have known in Proverbs 21 and verse 30, it says that there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the law. Right? So if you are preaching the gospel, if it is of God and this is God's will, victory is with the Lord. So Paul is definitely uh, very clear that his chain, although he's personally restricted, not able to go out and uh, do the preaching himself, but he says that his chains advance the gospel. How is that possible? In this few verses, he mentioned, he, he explained two ways in which the gospel continued to advance, although he was in chains. One is through the brothers. In verse 14, it says the brothers were encouraged to speak even more courageously and fearlessly for the gospel. Instead of being covered into timidity and silence, most of the brothers were emboldened to speak up and to stand firm. Where did their courage come from? It comes from God. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of love, of, of spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. The brothers Paul is talking about is those who were co labor with him, those who became disciples because of his uh, teaching and preaching. He says these brothers were not ashamed of Jesus Christ. They were not ashamed of Paul, although he was enchained, but they chose to choose to join in with Paul in his sufferings for the gospel by the power of God. And for Paul, in in verse 17 of Philippians 1, Paul said that these brothers were the ones who preached the gospel correctly, out of uh, of love. Where did this love come from? Love was poured out into their hearts by God's mercy. This love was shown in practice uh, by caring for Paul and by uh, his fellow co-workers. This love that was poured into their hearts was evidenced by their willingness to take risks to their lives, risks to their families, risks to their property even, in order to advance the Gospel. And Paul is saying that because of my chains, right, these brothers spoke, they stood up. So therefore, God continued to do his work, not by the one man, Paul, but through the many brothers whose names we don't even know. Likewise, today, God wants to continue to do his work through the body of Christ, through you and through me, not through just one great guy like Paul. That one great guy could be prison, could be dis- uh, imprisoned, disabled, doesn't matter. The gospel continues to advance. So through the brothers. And then Paul amazingly also saw that the gospel was advanced even through the enemies of Paul, right? These enemies of Paul, those who were opposing him, uh, they were not pagans, they were not unbelievers. They were believers, but they were motivated by being rivals and uh, envious of Paul's success, right? They too helped to preach uh, the gospel. They thought that their preaching uh, would stir up trouble for Paul. Right, uh, I think it's because they themselves were envious because of Paul's success. So they think that uh, if they go out and start preaching and then they get the success, they get the numbers, then Paul himself will be envious and like I said, it cause him trouble. But Paul's uh, mind was not like their mind. Paul's mind was renewed. He was transformed. He see the good in their evil intention. God did not allow, uh, Paul did not allow his chains to get him down. Rather, Paul chose to see the good that these opponents were bringing about. The Gospel was preached. They too helped to advance the Gospel, even though their motives were false, their motives uh, were bad, uh, they had intentions. But Paul said, I'm not going to let that uh, weigh me down. He says, Christ is preached and that is all that matters to him. It contributes to his task of completing uh, what Jesus Christ gave him to do. So he was uh, right in his uh, motivation. And there's a lesson for us here to be aware of what motivates our action in church. When we do something, is, is it out of love for God, out of love for one another? Or are we like this, uh, enemies of Paul? Uh, They are motivated because they want to compete with someone else. They want to gain more glory for themselves. Uh, They were envious of uh, one another. right? So we need to take this uh, in our own reflections and consider. Uh, While we maybe do it, you can say, like Paul says, doing uh, Christ's bridge, doing the good work. But if the motivation is false, is wrong, we will have to stand for before God and account uh, before Him. God who sees everything and who knows everything uh, will call us to account on that day. So we need to be aware. <clears throat> Finally, Paul was in chain, the gospel is advanced. Paul was in chain, he was not discouraged. He continued to encourage others, and he reached out to others. And finally, Paul was in chain, and he rejoices. He rejoiced always, even in his change. He didn't, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a choice he made. In fact, uh, in Philippians, you can summarize the whole book of Philippians in this one word. Rejoice. Four simple chapters, but Paul repeats this message to rejoice in every chapter. At least six times he said so. And here in chapter 1 and verse 18, it's the first time, it says, Rejoice that Christ is preached. Doesn't matter whether it is out of rivalry by some other people who try to do me in. So long as Christ is preached, I rejoice. This is what I want to do. And then the next chapter, in chapter 2 of uh, verse 17, he says he rejoiced that he's being poured out like a drink offering. A drink offering is the final portion of the Old Testament animal sacrifices, right? Like what Paul says himself in Acts 21, just now I read to you, right? That his life is just, he's willing to die. And in death, he's prepared, he's rejoicing, looking forward to that day. That's why you will hear it probably in the next sermon, right? Where Paul in Philippians 1:21 says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To him death is is not a bad ending to him. Death is just a gateway to his joy. It's the gateway to be in God's presence. So in death he rejoices. And then, one verse later in chapter 2 verse 18, he says, and so you too, so he invites the Philippian church, the believers, you and I, he says, you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So this invitation uh, to join in rejoicing is part and parcel of uh, advancing the gospel, part and parcel of living a life that is renewed, transforming Christ, part and parcel of advancing the gospel and joining in the suffering uh, of becoming a Christian. And then in the final two chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul, you can see, run out of reasons for saying rejoicing. He just keep repeating himself, Rejoice in the Lord! Rejoice in the Lord always! And finally, in chapter 4 and verse 10, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Right? Now, how can you stop somebody uh, in chain and in prison from, from rejoicing? And Jesus taught his disciples to rejoice, not because of what they can do or what they cannot do. It doesn't matter. Right? And he says, not, and Jesus told the disciples, uh, remember the occasion when he sent out 72 disciples, Uh, Dr. Liu recorded this in Luke chapter 10, and they went out and they did what Jesus told them, and then when they came back, they were filled with joy, they were rejoicing. And they told Jesus, Oh, even the spirits, that means the demons, they submit to us. But Jesus told them, He says, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names Are written in heaven. So Paul was rejoicing because his name is written in heaven. So the question for us to think about is, is your name in heaven written there? And if it is, if you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and if you are today living the Christian life, then you have every reason to rejoice to join with Paul in his decision to rejoice in the lord right and jesus himself gave us this reason he enabled us to believe in him to have to be have salvation and to have our names written in heaven so in your current circumstances however difficult or restricted it might be just dwell on the fact that your name is written in heaven and in that reason alone, you can rejoice. Let me finally close with a story from Paul. He was in chain, he was in prison, and he was in Philippi. This is the story they recorded for us in Acts 16. And this story exemplifies everything that we just read about Paul in these uh, seven verses in Philippians 1, 12-18. Paul was in chain, but the, the gospel was advancing. Paul was in chain, he was encouraging and he fires other people up. Paul was in chain, but he chose to rejoice always. And in Acts 17, there was this incident. You can go back and read the details of it for yourself. I will just bring out the key points. In verse 22, it says, Paul and Silas were stripped and beaten. Right? You can see they, they were stripped and beaten because they were doing the work of advancing the gospel. But after being severely flogged, in verse 23, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. They were in pain, bitten, and they were in darkness. In fact, the record says that they were put in the the deepest end. Uh, You can say in our modern term, we call it the maximum security prison. And then in verse 25, it says about midnight. After hours have passed, being flogged and being in pain, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. They, Paul and Silas, they were rejoicing in their pain, in their darkness, in their chains. I don't know what the other prisoners were thinking. The public were these guys are bad men. But then suddenly, in verse 36, suddenly, Right? You watch this word suddenly whenever you read the Bible. It means God is about to do his work. Because God was pleased with what he saw in Paul and Silas. That the gospel was being advanced. They were rejoicing because their name was written in heaven. suddenly there was a violent earthquake. The prison's foundations were shaken. All the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. This is the grace of God. Paul came to God came to, the, to save Paul and Silas, but everyone else benefited. All the chains were broken and all the prison doors were open. The jailer, he was in trouble. He woke up, right, and he saw all the prison doors open and he thought to himself that maybe everybody escaped, right? And he was about to commit suicide, kill himself with a sword. And what did Paul do? Paul shouted at the jailer and said, Don't harm yourself. No, nobody escaped. Everyone is still here. Right? This is Paul's attitude. This is Paul's approach. To his life. He has, in a short time in prison, he influenced everybody else. The normal thing is that prison door open, you. run, you escape. Right? But they were all there, sitting down, listening to Paul. And the jailer asked, What must I do to be saved? So the question you need to ask yourself is what ought we to do now that we have heard Paul's attitude in life? What must I do to be saved if you have not uh, become a Christian yet, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that your name can be written in heaven so that you have every every reason to rejoice. Those of you who have become a Christian, the question you need to ask is, what must I do to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? What must I do to encourage others, to fire others up? What must I do to rejoice in Jesus Christ? I hope this message from Philippians 1 encouraged you to Do something to have one decision that you will make that will change the way you handle your change, whatever it might be, your circumstances, however hard it may be, your darkness, however dark it might be, that God is there. Suddenly, he can come and everything will be changed. That suddenly can happen to you if God is pleased with you and if he responds uh, to his grace and to his mercy by being obedient to his call. I hope that God will bless you even as we have been blessed listening to this sermon. Amen.